Hey everyone, welcome to The Lifted Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Denham, and this is a place for us to talk about what we're doing every day to raise our vibration and understand ourselves more deeply as energetic beings and co-creators. So today's conversation is with my sister, Annie. She recently returned from her journey on the Appalachian Trail, which had to end prematurely because of the coronavirus, of course. So I wanted to sit down with her and talk about some stories that she collected from the trail, talk about what it meant to her to even begin it and what kind of preparation it took to get on the trail in the first place. And you know, this is a really existential process for people and one that not a lot of us get to fully comprehend or experience. So I thought it'd be really interesting to talk to her and I think you guys will definitely pick up something new. So I hope you enjoy and I'll talk to you on the flip side. Okay, everyone. So I'm here with my nugget, my sister. And a little heads up that we sound exactly the same. <laughs> so when Anne starts talking, don't be alarmed. It's not exactly the same, but I think I have a lower timbre. <laughs> okay, you just keep it low. So Annie and I are going to sit down because we're in hashtag quarantine. And it's a great opportunity for me to get to talk to her because Annie just came back from three weeks on the Appalachian Trail. Her intention was to begin and finish it. Within the course of like four or five months, right? I've, well, I don't know. People take a lot of different lengths of time. Yeah. yeah. People take different amounts of time. But Annie had to get off the trail because of the virus. So let's just dive into it. All right, let's dive in. Can you take us through your decision to even start the trail and what it meant to you to start this adventure? Yeah. Um, so I've been wanting to do the trail for a long time. Um, the idea of like through hiking it didn't really come up in my brain as like a feasible plan because not for a while at least I had some friends who did it and um I just kind of was getting more used to the idea of all right what would it actually look like to hike the whole thing and like logistically like it just takes a long time like you have to plan for about a year Mm -hmm. well some people do it in less but you like at least have a year to figure out finances and to, like what you're gonna do to take that chunk of time out of your life so I got a job like specifically for that that you know I communicated with my boss and I was just like you know I'll be gone in six months I just want to make a lot of money and mm -hmm. he was okay with that but yeah I mean I wanted to do it for a long time I you know love hiking and my a lot of our family is from the Appalachian area region. Um, my mom grew up in Asheville, North Carolina, and that's where I lived for the last two years. And so just getting to know those woods and, you know, getting familiar with the wildflowers and um, just like that region, I fell in love with it. And um, we're from Maine too, so it just felt kind of appropriate to try and do the whole thing. Um, and there's a lot that goes along with that. Your whole body changes, um, kind of feels like this, like mental test that I really felt like I wanted to try. Um, mm. Yeah, it just felt, it felt like the right time to do it. So it sounds like it was to kind of honor your family roots a little bit because between North Carolina and Maine is where all of our family is and to give yourself a mental test. Can you dive into that a little bit more? Like, what do you mean when you say you wanted that mental challenge? What was that going to look like for you? Well, I think that mental and physical challenges kind of go hand in hand like something that challenges you very physically is also something that's going to um, test your mental strength. You know, it's 
they say like it's not about physical strength like anyone can physically do the trail um you hear stories of people that are in their 80s starting and finishing the trail um a lot of people that do it that I would that I was with were over there in like in their 60s they, they were retired and had taken that chance to um hike when they had the time which a lot of times when you do have the time for the trail it's after you go to school so you know a lot of college graduates or and then after you retire so it's that those were the two like big age groups that I saw but mm-hmm. yeah I think that a lot of what a lot of the conversations I had on the trail were kind of surrounding just that like I think because we saw a lot of people in their 60s we were like yeah this is something that feasibly and physically a lot of people can do mm-hmm. um someone did it blind wow just with the dog just him and wow. his dog they trained he trained his dog to um recognize the white um blaze and the dog led him all the way there i think i lost a lot i think it took them like a <laughs> long time to get there but yeah being, people helped them but i think just at the base it was just him and his dog so it's, it's mental it's like very purely mental mm-hmm. yeah and i got to a point where i felt like i was on a roll and three weeks into it i felt like i could do it so for people who are unfamiliar with the trail at all mm-hmm. we're talking about the appalachian trail can you just give us a rundown of kind of the geography, what what kind of level of hiking it takes to do something like this, how long it usually takes, mm-hmm. what you need to pack to prepare for this? Like, just take us through that process a little bit for people that are unfamiliar with the hiking community. Yeah. So I think even if you are, you are familiar with the hiking community, there's a difference between like approaching a through hike and just like being a hiker. Like I kind of identified as a hiker just all throughout my life, but being a through hiker, you... Um, I have to do like quite a bit of research before planning a trip like this. I think, you know, anyone can do it really. It's just if you want to do it, if you want to spend all that time in the woods, if you want to, um, you know, feel dirty for a lot of the time, like you really don't shower very often. You do more often than you'd think, um, like once a week when you go into towns. But yeah, I mean, a lot of it's just like being like, okay, I want to do this and just having like that urge. But yeah, so a lot of it is... Having the gear, I mean, it's an expensive idea. So what did you bring? What were your basics that you brought? So I brought, um, I wasn't the most lightweight hiker. I mean, people are ultra, ultra light. It's become a trend. Like you bring very, I mean, it's more expensive to be ultra light, but basically I had, so I had a sleeping pad that was pretty light. Um, it was a Thermarest and that weighed like not even a pound. I think it was really light. And then I had a zero degree bag, which was ridiculous. But honestly, we had some really cold nights and I had a girl like tap on my tent being like, you know, are you warm enough? Cause I'm not. Oh my God. <laughs> like, oh no. Zero degree sleeping bag. She's yeah. going to die. Yeah. So some, a lot of people brought liners, which I think is the way to go. So you get like a 15 degree bag, maybe, or a 20, 25 degree bag, which is going to be super compact so it, it doesn't take up a lot of space in your bag and then you have a liner which is like often like a silk um, piece of fabric that you can kind of put into your bag get into the liner get into your bag and it has it gives you more insulation without as much of like the the density uh, but my zero degree bag was quite large and so my whole bag then was pretty large um, but I'm, I'm happy around my zero degree probably wouldn't do it if I did it again mm-hmm. um, and then another basic was a water filter Everyone had this like Sawyer squeeze um, filter. It basically is this 
like three inch um, addition to a bottle, like a smart water bottle that you just screw onto the top and then you can literally drink right out of the filter. Mm. Um, everybody had those and everybody had smart water bottles. It's like we had all linked up beforehand and planned together. Like it was crazy. Everyone had that. Mm-hmm. That was pretty much the only thing though, the only piece of gear that seemed to just run pretty steadily through all the through hikers. We think your there tent was... was too heavy, so you had to bring the tent back. Yeah, no, I... oh, God, <laughs> kind of messed up a lot of things there. Uh, it's all a learning process, but I learned that early on my my bag was just too heavy. Well, but... how heavy was your bag? Like, it's crazy to think of you guys all hiking. How yeah. heavy was your bag? Um, so you do it by base weight, like without food, without water. I think my bag was around like probably thirty pounds, maybe right. twenty eight. Carrying that through rain. Every kind of weather, every day. Well, then it's probably 38 pounds with all your food. Yeah. So it's it's heavy. Um, and I definitely could have done things differently. This is by no means like the right weight to bring. But yeah, you see it starting to affect your body. I have like some numbness now in my back that won't go away that I think is from like that continuous just carrying with that weight. Um, but I, I started to think about like, all right, well, who were the nomadic like populations of our of our world that had been traveling with this amount of weight just by necessity over, Mm. you know, generations and generations of like, okay, so the season has changed. The crops are gone. We need to move, you know, even in Maine, somewhere like Maine, someone, maybe people would live here for a season, a quick season, and then get out um, and move south. And whether it be like carrying food or carrying a child, I felt like I was carrying a small child on my back for... Mm -hmm. And so you asked about the terrain too. It's it's a lot. So Georgia is a lot like North Carolina, um, and it's it's literally just up and down every day, up and down, up and, and how down. How many miles? Down. To give it's, people this idea of how long this really is. So I think it's two thousand two hundred miles, mm-hmm. two thousand one hundred and seventy, something like that. Yeah. And how many miles were you doing a day on average? So I started out doing around like eight to ten miles a day. That felt like that was enough. I had a lot of advice being like, don't do too much too early. Let your let your body acclimate to this crazy change you've just added on to your life. So, yep. And then by that time that I finished, I was doing about 15 to 20 a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I had one 20-mile day, which was not on purpose. Um, we I had made some friends on the trail who were going about my speed, so we, we stuck together. And we had planned a 16 mile day. And a lot of times you'll hike from either shelter to shelter or shelter to campsite or depending on the weather. If you want to sleep in a shelter, um, you'll just plan your mileage around how far you are from like the nearest space where you feel like, you know, depending on the weather, you can be safe and comfortable. So your 20 mile day, was that between two of the stopping points, like the lean twos, or did you guys just decide to push it? Yeah, so we had tried to do, because, like, a lot of times the shelters are a nice place to be if it's raining or, like, a good meeting ground for a lot of other people who are hiking with you. Um, So we decided that we would do, like, a 16-mile day between one shelter and another. And when we got to the shelter, so tired. Like, it was the first, like, kind of longer day. I think it was actually, I think it was, like, an 18-mile and, uh, but it was like a pretty okay terrain day. So it wasn't like we were going way up and then way down and then way back up. Uh, we got there and there were these two section hikers that they're just like these 
really nice teachers like in their 50s who had obviously time off because of the virus and they were like we had met them before really friendly guys um and we were just chatting and they were like uh so if you want to come into town because we're going to go to franklin the next day to resupply and they're like if you want to go a day early we'll buy you pizza and beer (laughs) and we were just like salivating like the (laughs) idea of pizza and beer was just incredible so they were like you only have to hike 3.4 miles more and we're like all right let's do it Uh we can do it um out of body honestly I was so exhausted (laughs) (laughs) it was only like five o'clock we knew it was gonna get dark soon but we end up getting down to the gap there are a lot of gaps that you go through and it's just like a road going through um the trail and we get down there and there happens to be a shuttle that's taking people f- into Franklin. And the poor guys were like, we're too tired to go get pizza. We're like, that's fine. We'll take the shuttle. Like it had just killed us all. Um, it was a really big day. And so we took the shuttle into town and got, yeah, beer on our own. Simple <laughs> pleasures. Seriously. We would, I would walk. I would totally, if I had the idea of like hot pizza and beer in my mind, I would hike many, many more miles. <laughs> yeah. Cause you guys have to carry kind of like lightweight food. It's yeah. not like normal eating. You guys have to carry really specific food. Sometimes it's easy is, to make yeah. fast. Right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. I think it all has to do on calorie, like calorie density, which I'd never ever before thought about like eating more calories in my diet. Like maybe if I'm working out a lot, but the... The idea is that you want to make sure that you can like go more miles and that is based on just how much you're, you're taking in from food. But yeah, um, it was a lot of lightweight stuff too. So like calorie dense and like light my, like my day would look like I always had hot breakfast in the morning, which a lot of people just didn't do because it takes a lot of time and it takes, you know, if you pack up your, your campsite, you like, if I was to in my tent that night, I would pack up, um, get my, everything in my bag and then make my breakfast. And I would get out my little pot. I'd have to go down to the stream, get water for the day. So have all my water ready. And then I would make my food. Mm-hmm. So I definitely had like a longer morning routine, but I tried to get up early so that I wouldn't lose much time from it. But I would always have two packs of instant oatmeal and then a thing of like peanut butter in a packet and just mix it around and then maybe have like a Luna bar or something. And then that would only keep me though for like maybe three hours. And then I was starving again, Mm -hmm. even though that's like a really dense meal in the morning, like a whole thing of peanut butter. And it was just, it was a lot of food that I was eating, like way more food that I've ever really been hungry for. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, that would have, yeah, a Luna bar. And then I would stop maybe a couple hours, have another snack, then stop, have lunch, then stop. And then probably would be to my destination. Um, maybe like if it was like a 13 mile day or something and have dinner, which was a lot of times like just carbs. So like pasta, Mm-hmm. Um, with cheese or ramen or um, yeah, Heavy like stuff to keep you going. Some type of meats, yeah. Like t- we have these tuna packets, which I just would not eat now, <laughs> but I definitely liked them then. Yeah, um, just straight up tuna. Yeah, and that was that was good. I felt I felt full, but I never I could always eat more. Mm-hmm. That was the thing. Like if anyone ever offered me food, I would always, <laughs> always. Everyone was like that. You could always stuff more in. Yeah. 
but yeah. Okay, so I want to rewind. So we've kind of got the idea of what life on the trail kind of looks like, but you started this as a solo through hiker. You yeah. started alone. Yeah. And for people who don't know you, Anne is a very social creature. So I was wondering how she was going to do this alone, but you made friends pretty fast. So yeah, kind of take us through like, how did you feel like the first day that you got dropped off on the trail? Like what was your mental state like and how did you like get your confidence up to really start and go? My morale was kind of low because I had been looking at the radar and it was supposed to rain in Georgia for four straight days. Like not just 60%, like 100% rain for four days. And I mean, rain rain is a really sad thing. <laughs> like downpouring sucks when you're just in the woods all day, obviously. So I, I was feeling kind of low, but I was also really excited. Like had a lot of adrenaline about the fact that the day had finally come. And, you know, I just kind of picked a day on a whim. Like I knew I wanted to start um, early. I wanted to start originally late February, but then it kind of morphed into like early March. So I started March 2nd. I was definitely nervous about making friends, obviously. But I was, I was more nervous about like, missing an opportunity to like hike with people I really enjoyed, which I think is kind of a waste of energy mm -hmm. because you are going to find people with such a long trail and people go at such different paces and you either catch up to people or people catch up to you and you just gravitate towards people who you enjoy. Um, but it did take like about a week, well, about four or five days for me to find people that I wanted to hike with. And mm -hmm. I, I, when I say hike with, I never really hiked with people. I usually during the day you'll, I hike alone and then sometimes I'll like catch up to people and we'll chat for a little while, but I like to, that's like my time to just crank it out. Cause it's not, it's, it's enjoyable hiking with people, but I would only like to do it like one out of three days or something. Mm -hmm. That was usually my time to just process and enjoy. Yeah. And so when you met the people that you were going to kind of hike in and out with, did you just meet them at the lean twos and just kind of like kick it and you were like, okay, I'm going to do this kind of pacing for the day or because you ended up staying with the same group for a little while, right? Like yeah. Until the end. Yeah. Um, it started at Neil's Gap, which was it's a really, really cold, rainy day. And you have to go up this. It thing. was a cold, rainy day. <laughs> you have to go up Blood Mountain, which is just oh, like wow. exactly how it sounds. Um, yeah, it just rained again, and I was about ready to stay at a hostel. Um, it had been, like, four days on the trail, maybe five, and there was a hostel, like, you just run right into it, like, it's on the trail, and, um, it's also a place to resupply. And so, yeah, I got there, I got a pizza, which was really nice, and a lot of food for the next couple days. And then I decided to stay the night and I just met some friends there and we all showered and watched Office Space together and <laughs> just like washed our clothes in the sink and just talked about our plans and yeah, I ended up staying with them because I enjoyed them and also because we were going the same speed and that's a lot of what it has to do with it. Just like some people will only go, you know, seven miles to the next shelter and some people will push in the beginning. So it just depends. So it just happened to be that we were on the same trajectory. I was surprised to hear about how many people were actually doing the trail too. Yeah. Like when yeah. you started, how many people were starting with you on I was, that same day? I was number 601. That is crazy. Which is crazy because I started really early. If you think about when people usually start the trail, um, that meant that a lot of people started in January even. Um, not a lot, but people were were going in January. And then, I mean, you hit snow, though, and then you want to stop more. And it's just, I mean, 
people just do it in all different ways. There's no right way to do it. But I know I just knew personally that I didn't want to. I wanted to ride this line of um, being comfortable, but like not being too finicky about where I wanted to like stay. Like I didn't want to stay in hostels too much mm-hmm. was the idea. Because a lot of times if you're, I mean, if you're in snow and like really, really cold temperatures every night, you're going to want to want some comfort more often, which is totally understandable. Yeah. But it also slows you down. So. Right. I wanted ideally to just keep, keep it moving because I was comfortable. So yeah. That's what happened. And this morning I wanted to kind of pivot into this for a second. You were showing me this great podcast by Sam Harris. He's talking about the importance of getting a grip on our mental health and our mental well-being when we're alone and when we're faced with mm-hmm. like really difficult challenges. And the trail is no joke. Like you're hiking a lot during the day, especially when you're alone, like you're stuck with your only you, your mind. Mm-hmm. So how were you taking care of your mental health and staying motivated mm-hmm. and just positive on the trail when you were especially alone? That's a good question. Um, I think that I went through a lot of ups and downs that's an important thing to recognize. I think with just something so physical as, as hiking, you know, that many miles every day. Um, I remember my first couple days, like I had a couple moments where I was just in such pain because my pack was really heavy at the beginning. I got, I gave my tent or I sent my tent home at Neil's Gap. So that was like five days in. So the first five days I was in pretty serious, like pain. Um, And it's just this, like, constant dull ache in your shoulders from, like, weight that is just too much for your body at that time. And I definitely could have gotten used to it. But I think how I dealt with that is that I just gave myself, like, different different points to let myself relax. Like, I'd be like, because everyone has, most people who hike it have a little guidebook about, like, all right, there's a stream in 0.4 miles. There's a shelter in 7 miles. Like... I let myself relax at certain points. So I would hike and like just push it until that point. And then I would let myself sit down and then I would let myself so have a So you snack. knew like relief was coming. So that would yeah. keep you going mm-hmm. and you knew that it would be okay. Like mm-hmm. at some point you were going to be okay. But not everything yeah. is that like dramatic. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I have to just push it through like a miserable, like most days were great. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just those times that were testing where I had to really be like, all right, how is my mental state gonna get me through this and it wasn't really a whole like cognizant choice of I need to make myself mentally strong and mm-hmm. push it until it's next but it was just kind of like coping like that's what I'll do to make myself feel better I guess yeah yep just and give then yourself pointers. everything dissolves once you get once you have food and once you sit down <laughs> and once you take your pack off like that's the thing it's like you'll be in one mental state and you're just like fuck this sucks like uh I just I want to stop and then you take your pack off and it's like a whole different world. Yeah. It's funny how our mind really plays on our physical state and our environment. And yeah. it really depends on how we're feeling. But mm-hmm. I think it's really a symbol of your strength too, that you were able to keep a balance. Like you, you kept going, you did not waver. Like, I mean, our family was like, Annie, are you sure you want to start in the rain? It's going to pour for the first mm-hmm. week. And you were like, I'm going to do it. This is, mm-hmm. I'm going to just get on the trail and do it. And you just pushed through. So I think there is something to be said about this, like, inner voice that kept you going and Mm -hmm. kept you motivated despite this pouring rain, the heavy pack, everything. Well, I think that it all comes back to, like, this is my decision. No one's making me do this. Yes. If I'd hiked the trail there, the whole thing, I'm going to have many, many days of rain. Like, this is the reality that I chose. So why not start with kind of 
less than desirable conditions. And then, then I'll have that first. And then everything else is, seems like a breeze. That's like the perfect way of saying it because you're describing what I think a lot of people call the victim mentality. Like you did not get into that state of like, I'm a victim of circumstance. You took responsibility for like what you had chosen to do and just rolled with it. I think, yeah, a lot of people see through hiking is like this like suffer fest of just, you know, feeling like, oh, why did you do that? Or like, I don't know. But at the end of the day, like if it's your choice, you kind of have to be like, yeah, this is something I decided and I don't know why sometimes, but yeah. And I also only was on for three weeks. So like that huge mental shift that happens like a couple months in, I didn't experience. Mm -hmm. I only got to the point where, yeah, I definitely felt like I had my trail legs. I was definitely in the zone and I really wanted to keep going. So that's, there's something to be said for that, but I don't know. I I really just, I I do want to experience how it feels to keep going. Yeah, you will. I think that's just a good life lesson though, just to understand that everything that we're doing in life is by our own choosing Mm -hmm. most of the time, you know, Um, and we'll get into this virus too, but you know, taking responsibility for our lives in every sense of the word. Yeah. So, okay. Now I'm very curious. When did you start getting, you know, information about the virus and starting to feel a little bit like, uh oh, this might affect Mm. our trip? Well, at the beginning, it was a joke, which is kind of funny to think about. Like, everyone was just, yeah, making fun of it. I think there was a point where everyone was equating it with the flu, which is a really interesting phase that I think a lot of people went through Mm -hmm. in, like, terms of discussion. Like, oh, they, they would compare it to the flu and just be like, people, you know, a lot of people die from the flu. Like, why don't we pay enough attention to that? Which I think that argument made us all feel a little bit safer of just like, this is just another flu. Um, and then <laughs> China started closing things down and it became a little bit of like an apocalyptic situation. Mm-hmm. And I, okay, the thing about the trail, though, is that I had service just about all the time, which is really kind of weird because I was the only one in my like trail group that that had service a lot. So I felt like I was a little bit of this like alarmist figure um, because I would be the one conveying the news to everyone mm-hmm. every day. And I felt like, God, I'm just like such a burden. I, not a burden, but I'm just like this negative presence every morning, you know, I would come out of my tent just like in a funk and like this Corona haze because <laughs> I would have just gotten all this information right? from not just the news, but like dad was texting me every morning. Dad would be like, oh, have you heard about the virus? I'm like, dad, <laughs> I'm like really in the woods. Like I don't want to yeah. think about this, but at the same time, I should have been thinking about it. And it's a slow, slow build started to happen between all the through hikers. So, um, you know, one of my friends never used his phone, like the entire time, never used it, just had it for emergencies. Um, Another one never had service because that's just like a T-Mobile situation or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of my other friends like knew as much, about as much as I did. So it was like how we all communicated about it and when things got worse and worse. And I think um, the first time that things started to settle in was the morning that, when was it? I think it was like the ATC put out um, a warning and an advisory being like, please get off the trail. Mm -hmm. And when that happened, everyone was just 
chat like chatter just started like people started to take the virus seriously like but it was only every it was really only like once a week that we would all kind of talk about it because that's when we got into towns and that's when people just didn't want to talk about it people didn't want to like face what was going on because it's a really blissful thing living in a bubble in the woods and you know you kind of start you talk about things that are right in front of you rather than things that are happening elsewhere. Like you don't right. talk about that. And you the can't news. even blame you for that because even like coming out of New York City, we were still in this bubble. Like I don't think mm-hmm. anyone understood how to react or respond to this because we've never seen anything like it. Mm-hmm. It's just you know, you only respond when it becomes absolutely imperative that you do something. It's right. like Well, it was kinda of like this is not our problem. Like uh-huh. a, a big justification of it in the beginning that I definitely played into was like, all right, we're basically quarantined for a week at a time. Like that's, that's a lot. That's basic. That is as much as you are quarantined as a regular resident living in a city to, that only goes out to the grocery store every five days. Mm-hmm. Like in my mind, that was completely safe. Um, that started to change though. Like I, everyone started to break down a little bit mentally and emotionally because we started thinking like, okay, I think our, I think the trail is going to end for us. And some people just would never let that thought into their mind. Wouldn't Mm. even reach, let themselves reach that point where they felt ethically, um, like, I guess like pushed to make one decision either way or the other, like one way or the other. So, uh, I remember running into one of my friends, um, tosser is her trail name. And Tossa. Tossa. She was just not in a good state. It was pouring rain. Classic. And I was just like, we were just booking it up this really, really big mountain. And I yeah, I kind of passed her and she was not doing well. I could just see her face was just like completely defeated. And she was like, I'm having a really difficult time mentally right now. She's like, this has been the most mentally difficult day on the trail. And... She said, it's not a matter of, can I do this? But it's a matter of, should I do this? And I could just see her face just like, like her whole morale had changed. And I realized that I had not let myself think that way yet. And I think that that was, I realized that I had to take responsibility for the fact that I had ignored that exact thought. Because mm-hmm. I had thought about it, but not really. Mm-hmm. Um, because what you do on the trail is you hike to different towns, we are very reliant on community members for, I mean, we hitchhike. That's the only way we can get into towns unless we directly walk through them or we get it, we pay for a shuttle to pick us up at the trailhead. Mm -hmm. So we rely on people not only to trust us to get into their personal cars, Mm -hmm. um, but we rely on, yeah, small like stores to go into and resupply. We touch everything. Right. We could be transmitting the disease from, you know, Franklin to Hiawassee or whatever. Right. So. And you guys are all staying in those lean-tos that, with a lot of people. And a lot of hostels people. Hostels and yeah. Hostels. Right. I mean, I was, there was a point where I was really defiant and I was like, you know, you can't kick me off the trail. Like I'm going to stay, but I'm going to be safe. Like I was like, I will just only go into grocery stores. I won't stay at hostels. I'll camp the entire way. Like, this has got to blow over. I can, I can just resist this. And we were all like, everyone in my group was saying the same thing. We're like, yeah, this one guy was, he was like, you better put me in handcuffs. You know, it's the only way I'm getting off the trail. He's just like, <laughs> like, take me bro. Just take try me. It. Just try. So that was, people were just pissed. Like yeah. that, this is out of our control. 
You know, we did not cause this. And I think that that is, but it's, it's not about us. That's the thing. And we're also not the exception. And I think a lot of people are having this exact same discussion, mm-hmm. but there's still people hiking, you know, that's the, that's the, and I don't want to comment on that necessarily. Like that is someone's choice. And, you know, I love the people that are hiking right now. Still, like they're great people. And I don't, I don't want to, you know, say anything badly about that, but I definitely feel good about the decision I made, um, even though it's was one of the toughest ones I've had to make. Mm-hmm. So now that you're here, how are you making sense of all of this personally? And how are you making sure that you're feeling okay about all this? Because this was a really, really big change for you. Well, um, I think at the beginning, first couple of days, like you definitely saw, I was... I was really upset. I always felt like I was grieving a little um, for a lifestyle that I still am aching to live. And for friends I had just made and for a daily purpose, too. It felt like every day I had such a tangible thing to do and something that I could achieve every day. Mm -hmm. And I remember talking to my friend about it who had hiked the trail or a lot of it last year. And she said that it feels like every night you feel like a, a teenager that has just like spent all day, you know, running from classes and then going to after school activities and then going to sports. And then this like feeling of complete exhaustion that you have and just feeling like you could pass out at any moment. It's, it's a really gratifying feeling because you've chosen it all. Mm-hmm. And you've also taken your physical self many, many miles to the next spot. And it's it's chipping away at this big goal. And it feels really gratifying. Um, and so that, I miss that. I really miss that. But I think that it's also helpful to to think about everybody who's going through this right now. You know, it's I'm not I'm not, I'm not really that unique. My situation is different than a lot of other people's. But it's the same feeling that your world has been turned upside down. Um, I didn't lose a job. I left my job. I didn't, um, haven't lost anyone close to me because of the virus. Like this situation feels like a big deal, but in terms of the global, you know, feeling right now, we're all in the same boat. Mm-hmm. A lot of us are at home. Um, but it's great home. You know, I didn't yeah. think I would drive to Maine, but I did. <laughs> I thought I would walk. 16 hour drive. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, and were there any books that you'd recommend? What were you reading on the trail? I brought a book, um, Prodigal Summer by Barbara Kingsolver, mm-hmm. but I realized it was too heavy. So I <laughs> left it in a hiker box. Bye-bye. And then I had a friend who gave me a book called The Prophet, which was really good. Um, I guess it's just like a classic that is nice to read. It's all kind of like poetry. Um, so I still have that in my bag. The the cover and the back cover ripped off just so dramatically. Like it's not gonna save you that much weight. <laughs> <laughs> One ounce. But yeah, that was good. Um Yeah, I it makes sense that you wouldn't read as I much was as you so might have tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After I like every night I was either because we did a lot of like fires and talking till late and mm-hmm. I don't know, I went to bed probably by eight o'clock every night. I yeah. was just so ready for bed all the time. Could yeah. sleep at any moment. <laughs> Okay, and the last question I want to ask you is, is there a piece of wisdom that you kind of carried in your back pocket that you would go to when you were feeling down or you needed to pick me up? Is there something that you kept in the back of your mind? Um, yeah, I had one at the beginning when things were kind of tough. 
that was just one of those like generic like pain is temporary type of things but um this yeah. will pass i just said this this will pass mm-hmm. and it always does it always does um i think with everything too it's a good thing to remember especially when you're feeling really really low is that it'll pass um yeah and it makes you strong it does mm-hmm. i think i think this quarantine too i have a moments when i feel really really frustrated um with myself I think we're all dealing with this like mental struggle of one of like how do we stay productive how do we stay positive like this push because we feel obligated to push ourselves some people do um but then there's also this feeling of like how can I help myself relax and just slow down and not put too much pressure so Mm. I think this for all of us will pass um but I think in, in, instead of making it something that we have to get through, um, we could turn it into something that we can benefit from and grow from. And I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to do that. I mean, everyone is just planting gardens and writing and reading and Well, you are. Annie's, you know, we're about to build a vegetable garden in the back. Yeah, we got some raised beds. But you went on Amazon to get some seeds and it looks like <laughs> everyone's making a garden. Oh, yeah, it's not. It's just not just my idea. Oh, I love that, Annie. I think you said that perfectly, that this is temporary and it's, I really love that you said it's not something to get through. It's really an opportunity for us and something that we can just be present with instead of trying to see this as this monster even though it feels like that. And is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to talk about from your experience? I think that having a journal was really helpful and I'm really happy that I, I did. I mean, initially it was just like, Oh, this is a really good way for me to remember hiking the Appalachian trail. And I'll love to look back on that. Um, but now it's so much more than that. It's like, what was my brain going through when, the whole world was experiencing a pandemic and I was in the woods. And I think that we could all learn something from that because, you know, just talking to my grandfather about the war and just people who've lived through really um, trying times, if they have any record of it in their own words, it's really valuable. So I've been trying to write as much as I can down about where I was when certain things happened. Cause I mean, still we all talk about where were you and nine 11 happened or, yeah. And we can barely remember it, you know, know. but I think this is another thing. Um, you know, people are taking like pandemic photos, like photos (laughs) instead of like wedding photos. Like it's just weird, but I think we're going to appreciate it. And yeah, I've always appreciated like writing things down, having a journal. Yeah, our family has always been really good about that. We have journals from when we were like, since we could write, we've been writing, which yeah. has been so valuable for us mom. to look back and like mm-hmm. see our own personal evolution. And it's just a great tool for self-observation because when you write it down, you're like, okay, this is actually how I feel. Like, what's going on? Yeah. But yeah, that's a great note to end And on. maybe being like super specific to like, this is how much gas is. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. This is what happened when I went to the grocery store. This is mm-hmm. what happened when I, when I went to Home Depot. Everyone was wearing a mask and it's just, it's just weird. For sure. Okay, Nugget. <laughs> Love you. Thanks for being on my Love podcast. You. Thanks for having me in the home. 
All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. You can follow Annie on Instagram at Annie Baxt, B-A-X-T. I'm on Instagram at Helen Denham underscore. And if you want to read some blog posts, hear the other podcast episodes, or listen to some of my music, you can head over to HelenDenham.com. I also send out a self-care Sunday newsletter. So if you want to subscribe to that, you can find the subscription box on my website as well all the good things. So thanks again, you guys sending you so much love. Hope you're safe and well, and I'll talk to you soon.